uh, I will just say good morning uh, and happy new year. And uh, we are in for an exciting morning with not one, not two, but three presentations. In the interest of time, uh, we'll turn this over to uh, Dr. McGinn, if you have any remarks, otherwise to Dr. Sagar, who's going to be our moderator. I'll, I'll just take the opportunity to say Happy New Year and um, just grateful for all the presenters today. Uh, amazing work, body of work that you're going to see. Um, I always, it's the new year. It's my second year um, here at Common Spirit. And I feel like we're constantly introducing ourselves to ourselves at Common Spirit. We're making ourselves aware of the amazing talent, the research, clinical innovation that's going on. And this is a way to do that. So I'm excited to hear about our award winners. And really, we should all just take a recognition and a moment to appreciate how amazing Common Spirit is and the portfolio of amazing people doing incredible, innovative work in so many different communities across the United States. So. That's all I'll say and hand it over to the amazing Dr. Sagar, who's going to introduce the speakers. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the National Abstract Competition Grand Rounds. Very excited to have you all here. I want to briefly review what this abstract competition really meant. And the purpose was to highlight the amazing work, the research, the clinical acumen, as well as the quality work that's being done across our footprint. We have three main categories, clinical research, health disparities research, or health equity research, and practice innovation, high value care. The submission criteria is in front of you. We looked to include everybody who was affiliated with Common Spirit Health across our clinics, our offices, as well as our academic partners. We received a total of 57 abstract submissions, which were an immense example of some of the phenomenal work being done across the board. Next slide. The judging criteria in brief was a rubric that was created based on the AAMC rubric for abstract competitions, five criteria, direct clinical care influence, generalizability of the findings, research design, clinical impact, and influencer status about how can, is it possible for this to influence care delivery across our common spirit health physician enterprise? Next slide. None of this could be possible without the incredible efforts, insights, guidance of all of the folks listed in front of you and beyond. A special shout out to Brooke Burgess, John Knishi, and Rachel Lytle for making all of this abstract competition seem absolutely seamless and was not possible without each of these folks. So thank you, thank you. Okay, we're gonna go right into our presentations. First up, we have our clinical research winning abstract competition titled, Is Open Left Thoracoabdominal Esophagectomy a Viable Option in the Era of Minimally Invasive Esophagectomy? And our author presenter is Dr. Taha Karaka. He's a general surgeon and general and thoracic surgery research fellow at Virginia Mason School, Virginia Mason Franciscan Health. He's a graduate of Al-Quds Medical School in Palestine. He's a general surgeon who completed his residency from the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. In 2021, he joined the Ryan Hill Research for two years as general and thoracic surgery research fellow. His interest lies in upper GI and general thoracic surgery, focusing on benign and malignant esophageal pathologies. Take it away, Dr. Karaka. All right. 
Good morning, everyone. Thank you for granting me this opportunity to present our work. My name is Taha Karaka. I'm the recipient of Ryan Hill Research Fellowships 2021 through 2023. I'll be presenting our work in a clinical research on open left thoracoabdominal esphagectomy as a viable option in the era of minimally invasive esphagectomy. I have no disclosures to make, and there is no conflict of interest. This study did not receive specific funding. It was supported by, by Ryan Head Research Foundation at Virginia Mason Medical Center, as well as Oxford University Hospital and McGill University um, Health Center. So as you all know, esophageal cancer remains one of the deadliest cancers with an overall five-year survival rate of less than 18%. Historically, and as part of multimodal therapy plan, esophagectomy has been the traditional mainstay with curative intent for regional invasive esophageal cancer. However, the decision regarding surgical approach, whether it be open or minimally invasive, needs to consider differences in tumor representation, like tumor location or involvement of adjacent organs, as well as patient physiological status and surgeon's preference. Esophagectomy is considered the most common complex GI surgery, where uh, some or most of the esophagus is resected. The continuity of the alimentary tract is usually re-established using the stomach to replace the resected esophagus and tumor. And as you can see in this post-esophagectomy chest X-ray, the gastric conduit was uh, used to connect the remaining part of the esophagus, either up in the chest or in the neck. Although previous studies have shown that esophagectomy can be performed with low post-operative risk in expert centers, its uh, mortality rate still approaches 5%. Now, as we mentioned earlier, esophagectomy can be done either uh, using open or minimally invasive technique. And this image represents the, uh, the setup for the abdominal phase of minimally invasive esophagectomy, which has another thoracic phase to approach the, the esophagus. Minimally invasive esophagectomy has been increasingly implemented in many centers around the world and is now considered as the most commonly uh, applied approach. In fact, this was highlighted in uh, Kupusami et al., which was published by us. And in this study that was based on a prospectively developed esophagectomy database called um, ASOData, uh, where data was collected between 2015 and 2018 uh, from 39 centers around the world, this study have found that minimally invasive esophagectomy surpassed open techniques over time. One of these open uh, esophagectomy techniques was called what's uh, called left thoracoabdominal esophagectomy, uh, which is the focus of our study. And it comes with this atypically large incision, as you can see in this image, through which we can simultaneously access both the abdomen and the chest. Left thoracoabdominal esophagectomy incision has been used for 100 years. Uh, and it was first reported by Eggers in 1931. In 1983, Ellis published the first large series of LTE in the United States. Historically, LTE has been associated with certain advantages that included facilitating simultaneous chest and abdominal dissection under direct vision, 
and hence it provided optimal exposure for larger tumors and the tumors invading adjacent organs. In addition, it offered the flexibility with the anastomosis level and reconstructive methods as well. While this LTE uh, incision is extensive, it typically occupies a, a single dermatome, which makes it highly amenable for post-operative pain management using epidural or paravertebral catheters. Finally, and most importantly, it has been uh, shown that LTE has similar oncological outcomes to the classical open eye Lewis esophagectomy, according to our previous uh, publication in 2017. So in our study, we aim to have a modern day comparison of post-operative outcomes after left abdominal esophagectomy and minimally invasive esophagectomy and three high volume centers that are experienced in both techniques. So what we did between 2009 and 2019 was a retrospective international cohort study that based on prospectively collected databases. And we looked, we looked to compare patients who had LTE to patients who had minimally invasive esophagectomy. And uh, that was according to patient demographics, tumor characteristics, operative um, outcomes, post-operative outcomes, and complications. These complications were um, defined utilizing a standardized prospective recording of complications called ISO-data, which is a well-accepted international standard. And we think it adds strength to this study. And lastly, we compared pathological surrogates of oncological efficacy by measuring R0 resection rate and number of resected lymph nodes at the time of surgery. We managed to collect data of 915 consecutive patients over 10 years from three units. And this truly represents high volume esophagectomy units according to leapfrog group standard, which requires at least 20 esophageal resections per year to call it high volume hospital. Now in our cohort, 75% of uh, the patients had thoracoabdominal esophagectomy. Median age was 66 years and male patients predominated in both groups. Presenting characteristics were similar between the two groups, except that LTE patients had more of distal esophageal and gastroesophageal tumor location. They had more neoadjuvant treatment and more advanced tumor stage. On the other hand, patients in the minimally invasive esophagectomy group had higher comorbidity status that was reflected by higher Charlson comorbidity index and ASA score. When it comes to the results, there was no difference between the two groups and uh, overall post-operative complications, severe complications, pneumonia, anastomotic leak, and hospital stay or in hospital mortality. Although some of the outcomes were found similar between the two groups, minimally invasive esophagectomy had more significant risk for chylothorax, gastric conduit necrosis, recurrent laryngeal nerve paralysis, post-operative bleeding requiring an, uh, intervention, as well as higher rate of free operation post-operatively. When it comes to imperative pathological results, including R0 resection date, which means no cancer on tumor margins after resection, and median number of lymph nodes resected at the time of tumor resection, there was no significant difference between the two groups. 
And these two pathological surrogates indicate adequacy of cancer operation. We can conclude that both LTE and minimally invasive spagectomy have produced excellent operative results in the literature. And although LTE patients had more complex presentation due to larger tumor and advanced stage, we have found that certain post-operative complications were statistically less significant in left thoracoabdominal esophagectomy. And there was no significant difference in oncological outcomes, quality outcomes, including R0 resection rate and number of lymph nodes resected between the uh, two groups. Our study indicated that LTE has measurable advantages over minimally invasive esophagectomy in selected cases. Hence, we recommend that high volume esophagectomy units consider adding LTE to their esophagectomy armamentarium to be applied in selected patients. Also to allow for this approach to be included in contemporary surgical training. Finally, this study has some limitations, including the retrospective design and missing long-term follow-up as well as the lack of randomization, especially that LTE and minimally invasive esophagectomy are typically applied in different clinical presentations. And thank you. Excellent, thank you so much. And we will go to our panel discussion with Dr. McGinn, Dr. Coleman, Dr. Flynn, and Dr. Grainswag. John, could we take down the slides? Yep, I'll do that. Thank you. Um, Fantastic. Okay, this, this is a great presentation. I'll open it up to our panel. Thank you, definitely. Um, one, I have one question, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, when you started, you talked about um, mortalities from this, from the, I guess it's the invasive procedure of about 5%. And I don't know if I saw that particular number for minimally invasive and um, are the more, I, and I, I certainly saw all the other comparisons, but is mortality the same? So um, for now, yes, uh, we can say that all esophagectomy, you know, as like when put together um, uh, with, despite the different approaches, uh, we have it in some reports up to 15%. Yes. So it, it ranges between seven to 15%, some, some like, um, expert centers like reported 20% even. Yes. So we can see it from esophagectomy in general. Okay, so not, not a comparison. Yes, no, no, no. Thank you for your thoughtful presentation, Dr. Karaka. I, I do have a question. You'd mentioned in your conclusions that as we think forward to surgical training, offering both LTE and minimally invasive techniques for esophagectomy probably makes sense. I'm curious as to if you have a sense of what do training programs offer right now? How, how is that perspective evolving in this space of general surgery training uh, and advanced training in this area? Is there balance? I, are there certain types of centers that tend to train in one way or the other? And what are your thoughts as to how we can provide our future graduates with sort of, to your point, a, a broader armamentarium as they go into practice? Thank you. Right, thank you for this question. This is like a very important question, uh, especially in this era. You know, we are like the medicine and all the practice is evolving toward like uh, more of minimally invasive surgery, robotic, um, laparoscopic, and thoracoscopic, and so on. So, um, the, most of the most of the um, uh, 
residence programs, fellowship programs, and training programs are focusing on this uh, evolving like mm -hmm. medicine and practice. However, um, definitely as um, we we saw from the presentation, we have certain patients that needs to be approached <clears throat> in different way, and they that we cannot like. Um, um, approach them this this like with this these minimally invasive techniques and we have to have different like solutions and um uh, surgical approaches so what we say what we're trying to say is that these type of cases where um there is a complexity in um uh, surgical procedures we usually recommend to send them to high volume centers, as we uh, mentioned earlier, which is like high volume centers, uh, according to leapfrog standards, it's like more than 20 uh, SVGL um, resections per year, which means less mortality. And what I recommend for further training or what I can see is that um, maybe rotating in these high volume centers for the, the residents, for the trainee, is a, a great opportunity to get this type of experience in mm. case they um, uh, wanted it or like needed it in their um, future and practice and so on. I know we only have a couple of seconds left and I just want to put a plug in that I think this is a, a very smart question that you've asked because I think the, the train of minimally invasive is just assumed always to be superior and we all have to focus on that because it seems intuitively, um, you know, and I, I've always questioned that because I think there's a big ramp up to people learning how to do minimally invasive. I think it's, it, it, there are downsides to minimally invasive. And I think this is a brilliant way of kind of highlighting. And I think Dr. Coleman's question of we're missing the boat because we're training people on something that you, you you really need to go back to some of the you know the surgical techniques. Um, it's a great provocative study. I just think it's um, you know it's, I just want to say thank thank you for doing it <laughs> um, because I think it it does bring up a lot of questions. And this is where Dr. Ankara should say Dr. McGinn time to move on. So and right on thank cue. You. Well done. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that panel discussion.